text will be found in verses 18 through 22. It is good to have every single one of you here. I was thinking how how weird is this? Okay, really. A bunch of people come into a church on a day normally you can sleep in. You sit in, in chairs facing the same direction and we, we sing together. We lift up our voices. We lift up our hands. It's just totally, totally weird. And then you listen to a guy talk for 40 minutes. Like, totally weird. Why does this happen? Um, Friday night we had, and Saturday we had our men's retreat. There were 60 guys here. Okay, there was no pizza. There was no football. There was no beer. And they were together worshiping God, singing loud, singing beautiful. Like, that's just why. That doesn't fit with the rest of what the world thinks that guys should be doing on Friday nights. Even this idea, what you're doing, like, you're weird. Just to let you know that by your being here. But why do we do that? Why? Because you got 78.8 years, okay, if everything goes well. That's, that's about what you have got. And all of eternity, that's a thousand years. No, that's a thousand times a thousand times a thousand continuing on. You've got all of eternity depending upon how you get it right right now. And, and the only way, okay, I have nothing to tell you that is not found in this. Don't listen to anything unless it is, it is, it is solid on this. Okay? That's why we're here. That's why we gather so that our focus is on the Word of God and on God Himself. Um, I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm scared to death and humbled. I know the guys were together on Friday night. We listened to Francis Chan um, on Saturday, you listen to Matt Chandler, um, and on Sunday, you get me. So I was trying to, like, grow a goatee like, like Chan. I thought that would be cool. It just, doesn't, it just doesn't work like that. But you know what I thought? It, it's, it's the same Word of God um, that's being taught. It's the same Spirit of God that is at work. And I love those men, those brothers. God has gifted them with a passion, and we can learn from them. But we can all continue to learn every time. Uh, the Word of God is opened. Um, so with that thought, would you bow with me and, and pray as we are desperately in need, as we just sang about um, how we need the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank You. We come to You in the powerful and perfect, precious name of Jesus. We thank You, Lord, for this time that You've given to us to be in Your house on Your day. We thank you for your word that is opened up before us. And God, we invite your spirits to descend on us and to speak. May, may all of us know that we have heard this morning a, a word from you. And that we would see you clearer. See, see Jesus more beautiful than we've ever seen before. God, we need your help for that. Free our minds from distractions or worries or fears. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the blessings and freedoms you have given to us to meet like this. We just pray, Lord, that we would hold tight 
unto your truth to, to accomplish the mission that you've called for us to do. We ask these things in the, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. There are, are moments, what we would call um, mile markers along uh, life's journey that kind of we mark as significant periods, uh, times in history. Uh, Gutenberg's printing press, uh, signing of the Magna Carta, signing of the Declaration of, of Independence. You, you remember that, right? You remember that? Um, I, I think of other important dates. Uh, December the 7th, 1941. Uh, September the, the 11th, 2001. There's events that mark history. Today in our text, as you open up to Mark chapter 2, it's one of those events that that marks history, that that it is a moment of profound change. Things will never be the same prior to this moment. It is the dawning of a new day, a new era. The, The old officially is gone. It's out and the new is here. Now one of the things that we've been studying the Gospel of Mark that that Uh, it's been very clearly revealed to us, is that Jesus does not fit with the existing establishment. Kind of the same way that if you choose to follow Christ today, you will not fit. Okay? It's just weird. It's weird. Like you're weird even for being here. You won't fit with what the world thinks is kind of commonplace or normal. And, And Jesus, in the day that he was called to minister, didn't fit. What he did is that he, he really pointed at, okay, the Pharisees, the so-called religious people of the day, and he, and he pointed at the fact, and he pointed out the fact that they were wrong. All their religiosity that they had done with such care and perfection, they're in complete error. You see, that they, they were simply, they were constantly more concerned about the appearance of that which is holy rather than the adherence to, to that which is holy. We saw that Jesus Christ lives and He ministers in complete contradiction to the religious right. And they, they couldn't stand Jesus. They couldn't stand the fact, just as we saw last week, what, that Jesus is hanging with and eating with the likes of a guy named Levi, Matthew, the tax collector. Jesus hanging around tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees hated it. They hated Jesus because he's more concerned. He's always talking about the condition of the heart, the inward, than the outward. And the Pharisees, the religious people, are always concerned about the outward appearance. Jesus comes and says, no, this is new. It's totally new. It's a, it's a message of grace. It's the good news of the gospel that says it doesn't matter what you do. You can't earn heaven. You can't win heaven. You can't, you, you can't shovel the steps off for enough old ladies in this world to earn a spot in heaven. You can't carry someone's groceries. You can't teach enough Sunday school classes to win you a place. It's all God's grace. It is a gift that what says God says, I saw you, I created you, I loved you, and I sent my own son to die for you to forgive you of your sins. And it's by us putting our lives totally into God's hands. That's that's the gospel. That's the only way. That's the focus that we have. The gospel is like any other message. It's different than any other faith. 
And we see that in this text this morning. Mark chapter 2, we pick up the, the, the narrative in verse 18. Listen very carefully. Now, John's disciples, or John the Baptist is referenced here, uh, disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and, and said to him, said to Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Three points I want to give you this morning. The first one is this, that we see in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is the recipient, or number one, Jesus receives criticism. And, it, and, and it's in verse 18. It's a perplexing, it's kind of a backdoor accusation. Um, it's a, a criticism or attack against who Jesus is in the ministry of Jesus. It's, it's this question in verse 18. So why, why does everyone else, John the Baptist, his followers, some people had kept the focus on John the Baptist as opposed to Jesus, why do the Pharisees fast, but why don't your guys fast? The, the Pharisees, the religious right, were concerned about what? Propriety, pattern. Pattern, pattern, pattern. If you recall, the, the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus Going back to the first part of chapter 2, they had a problem with Jesus' claim to forgive sins. How can you do that? They had a problem we saw last week when Jesus was eating with sinners in verses 13 through 17. And, and now they have a problem with Jesus because his disciples are not fasting. If you think of it, they have a problem with what? Everything. They have a problem with Jesus. Just call it what it is. It's not really a problem with what he's doing, what he's They have a problem with him. How many, how many times has that happened? I, I have on repeated occasions had people come to me and they have a problem with the subject that I'm preaching about, that I believe in a literal place called hell. And, and I think of an individual, he wants to have coffee with me, and so we're eating together, and he said, you're scaring people. With that message that, that says that there's a literal hell. I said, well, that's what it says in, in the Bible. I can't get around that. And then he, he talked about the fact that, that it's wrong of me to call homosexuality or adultery or pornography sin. And, and I'm like, but that's what it says in, in the Bible. And, and, and it was a criticism against me and against our church that, that we preach what salvation by grace through faith, that we think that, 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 that creation actually occurred in six 24-hour days. And I'm like, but that's, that's what it says. Evening, morning, we're the first. It says it. And, and that problem, when, one, if not, and I, I looked at him, and I remember we were having coffee, and I said, you don't have a problem with me. You don't have a problem with our church. You've got a problem with the Word of God. And you have a problem with God Himself. 
Our coffee time ended. That, that's really, the, it's the same idea right here. I was reading this week in my, in my quiet time, and, and Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, that, he says that we have the prophetic word. We have this word. I love how Peter is just so blunt. He says, you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. It's a great picture. You have this word. You've been given this. Uh, you would do well to pay attention to it. Why? Because it is a light that shines and we are living in a dark place. The scene here, the scene here, we, we assume order of events. It takes place just after Jesus was eating with sinners. And it is true, as I said, that, that John the Baptist had some followers and they were more focused on John the Baptist than Jesus. They missed some pieces of the story. And they were fasting, and the, the Pharisees were fasting. And a fast, just so that you know, is, is a set period of time where people withhold something. Usually it's food, okay, because we love food. And to hold our, ourselves away from food for a set period of time is a personal discipline. And now, there are times in Scripture, as a matter of fact, there's one place, or one reference, I should say, to um, in, in Old Testament law for a fast to be required. It is, it is expected. One day a year. It was the Day of Atonement or, or Yom Kippur in Leviticus 16 and Numbers chapter 29. Speak about this one day that you are instructed to fast. This is an Old Testament law for Judaism. And so what would happen is that people think, well, if it's, if it's a good thing to fast for one day, how much, how much more good, how much better would it be to fast once a month? Or, or if you fast once a month, you must be more spiritual than guy who fasted once a year. Or, or if you fast once a week, you must be even more spiritual. What the Pharisees actually did is that they instituted their own fast twice a week. Twice a week. Every Monday and every Thursday, they would withhold, okay, food. So, so you think like, wow. It's only required one day a year. You're doing it. You must be really, really spiritual, right? Well, my, my kids would give me a hard time. I was on what was referred to as, as my curry kick. Okay, I love curry, the spices. I visited Indians. I brought back these spices. I was putting curry like on everything. And I'm thinking, well, a little bit of curry, that tastes really, really good. More curry must, may, must mean it tastes better, right? I, I have ruined some really good hunks of meat. Let me tell you that. And, and the kids like that just dial back the curry. And the idea is what, you know, oftentimes in our human, a little bit of something is good. Well, a whole lot of this, that's, that's not necessarily the case. That's exactly what the Pharisees were trying to, to teach. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that fasting is a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's, it's, it, it can be and, and should be a good thing. Jesus teaches what in, in Matthew chapter 6? When you fast, okay, so he's expecting that we do this. But it's something that is personal. It's something that happens privately. Oftentimes a fast was what? A recognition, just like the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, a recognition of our own sinfulness. 
and the weight that presses upon us. I have never met a person, I, I talked to many people, do you really feel that you've never done anything wrong? Like you've never sinned. I've never met a person who said, that's right, I've never done anything wrong. Which, which is what? There's a weight. And we know that, that death, that death comes as a result of our sin. A fast is a time, oftentimes, that is voluntarily a time to think about the weight that exists on us as sinners, and yet what? The freedom of God's grace to forgive us of our sins. And, and so the focus is more about what God's gift to us. The focus is on the glory of God, not on the glory for ourselves. And they had twisted it around. And that's what Jesus is addressing right here. In fact, he continues, he says, When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. What the hypocrites or another name the Pharisees were doing is that when they fasted, okay, they wanted everyone to know that they were fasting so they wouldn't shave that day. I don't think they shaved. Did, did they shave? They, they wouldn't wash. They wouldn't comb. Okay, they would wear disheveled clothes. They'd look like, and they'd walk around gloomy and sad because they haven't eaten all day. And it would draw attention to themselves so that people would say, oh, you're fasting. Well, you must be a spiritual. Whoa. Do you realize that we, in essence, do oftentimes the same thing? You know, you want to take our Bible out and read it so that other people know that we are reading our Bible. We, we come to church and we serve, and, and we kind of serve looking over our shoulder just to make sure that others see, wow, he must really be spiritual. He was here early to church this morning. We, we do the same type of thing all the time. When, when they see that Jesus and his disciples are not playing by their rules, they are frustrated. They are getting angry. Same thing happens, okay, when people today add to. And there are faiths and beliefs and religions, okay, where people are adding to. And, and what is totally different about the gospel, totally different about the idea that, that the gospel doesn't fit with any other faith is that we don't have to worry about doing this or not doing this. Jesus Christ comes on the scene and says, I've done it for you. He, he, he dies on the cross. He, he cries out, it's done. It's over. He says, it is finished. Every other belief system kind of keeps you wondering and actually worrying, working. Am I doing enough? Am I, am I, am I lighting enough candles? Am I, am I saying the rosary enough? Am I, am I making the journey to, to Mecca? Am I doing all the... And you're always wondering. Jesus says, no. He comes on the scene and He says, you come to Me. You lay your burdens at My feet and I will give you rest. Jesus Christ says, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one will ever get to the Father except by going through me. Jesus, first and foremost, takes some criticism, but I love, secondly, Jesus offers a correction here. Verses 19 and 20, And Jesus said to them, Now what's interesting is that we know that this is a, a cutting criticism. It's an accusatory um, question and statements. Jesus gives an answer here 
doesn't just correct them. Kids on the playground, we would use this term. Okay, Jesus schools them here. Jesus takes them to school. Jesus teaches them a lesson, and he does it with a very simple illustration that anyone could understand, particularly those in the Middle Eastern culture. We get it today, but it was really loud, okay, in that particular culture. Why? Because people love celebrations. People love feasts. Here's the response Jesus says, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Interesting that Jesus has asked the question, why is it that, that you guys don't fast? Jesus oftentimes answers a question with another question. Brilliant. Can, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. So what, well, what, what is happening here? Jesus is proclaiming what? He is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. And he makes this declaration in this teaching moment that he's the bridegroom. What, what is the bridegroom do? Today, to my understanding, today is a very special day. It's Valentine's Day where we express our love for that special one. I'll tell you something real quick. My wife is downstairs with me. Somebody dropped a gift off on our front porch last night. And I didn't know who it was. And Wendy thought it was me. And she's like, honey. And I haven't told her. I'm just kind of writing it. I don't know what to do. Don't tell her. Sorry. Just thought about that. But what does the bridegroom do? Valentine's Day is this moment. And you know it. The bridegroom, the, the man, he comes. He's the one who comes riding up. And ladies, you remember the moment, okay? You know the moment when he came riding up on a white horse to rescue you, the damsel in distress, right? I'm getting some weird looks from the ladies. I don't know if that's... I, mean, says, I, I remember an old pickup truck. I don't remember... A... That's, that's what, it's what the bridegroom does. He comes. He rescues her. He comes to get her. What's interesting here is that um, is a different culture. We think about Matt's, Matt's overwhelmed trying to pay for college. You think about trying to pay for a wedding, okay? What's interesting is that that's a cultural thing today. The bridegroom, the groom, used to pay for the wedding. I don't know how dad got it, okay? And, and it's the same idea that Jesus says, what? He's, he's paid for everything. He's taking care of it all. Jesus is making a proclamation here of who he is. He says, I'm here you look at me. You focus on me. This is not a time to fast, a time to withhold food. It is a time to what? Drop an E in there. It is a time to feast. Why? Because the bridegroom is here. When the bridegroom arrives and he has his party, okay, his posse with him, it was a time to party. In, old, in, 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 in um, um, New Testament times, ancient Middle Eastern culture, a wedding would last seven days. 
seven days they're partying, celebrating. It was not a time to fast. It was a time to feast. And how we love, how we love that. Didn't ask their permission, but I met with a young couple this past weekend. We're preparing for their wedding in premarital counseling. I won't embarrass them. I won't share their names. But, but I was asking, you know, how are, how are planning, how's planning going? How are you guys doing? And, and, and the groom-to-be said, oh, we got a chance to go to, like, the tasting, where we tasted the dinner and we tasted the dessert and we tasted the cake. And he said, I, this is, I am excited. And, and I'm like, you know, she's here. You're excited about her. The food, he said, is really going to be good. It's a guy thing. It's a guy thing. We, we just love the idea of what? A feast. And Jesus says, I'm here as the focus, as the bridegroom. And Jesus makes this declaration. In Matthew chapter 25, we see the parable, the wise and the foolish virgins. The ones who are ready to what? To offer themselves. That's, that's really what God has called us to do. To see Him as the one who rescues us. Who redeems us in every way. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, the Messiah is not necessarily referred to as the bridegroom, but there's several relationships, several pictures, I should say, in Isaiah and Ezekiel that describe the relationship of God with His people, with His followers. And they're at a feast. They're, they're just together, and they are enjoying. And Jesus says what? Particularly to the Pharisees who have been looking for the Messiah for this law. Right there in that audience, He says, guess what? It's me. Who, who you have been looking for, who you have been waiting for, it's me. It is a moment that marks time from this moment onward. No longer the olds. No longer a need for a fast. Why? Because Jesus is here and we feast on Him. We look back in the first chapter of Mark in, in, verse 14, in, in chapter 1 of verse 14. Uh, John was arrested when John the Baptist was put into jail, and it's a bad scene, bad news. It says that Jesus comes into town proclaiming good news. And he says the time is fulfilled. Another translation reads, Today Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You hear. It's no longer like it used to be. I am here. And Jesus proclaims at this moment that the times are changing. Fasting of the Pharisees is out of place. It's out of touch with what God is doing. And Jesus takes them to school by correcting them in their thinking. Thirdly and finally, Jesus makes a connection. Jesus makes a connection and he teaches that you cannot, you cannot have works, that is the fasting, alongside of Grace, which is the gift of salvation. You cannot have the two together, old and new. They don't. You can't have them both. What Jesus does here is he uses two illustrations or two analogies to kind of enforce his point and to really drive his point home to his listeners and teach a lesson. Now, I have to be honest, in this past week, I am not a seamstress. Um, nor am I a winemaker, but I had to do some reading and studying on both of these subjects. And guess what I found? The Bible's right. The Bible's perfectly right 
a new patch on old garments does not work. The Bible's right. This is new wine and old wineskins. It just does not work. Take the first one. If you get a hole in your jeans, this is before the time that holes in jeans were cool, okay? Today it's like, wow, finally I get to be cool because I got a hole in my jeans. It wasn't always like that. What, what they would do is you'd have an old pair of jeans, you'd take a new piece of cloth, you'd sew it on there, right? But no, because... Once that cloth, okay, gets wet, it's washed, and then it's dried, it's going to shrink, it's going to pull itself off of, and you've got a bigger hole in your jeans. It's, it's, it's a what not to do. Same principle applies with the whole idea of what, if you were making wine, and this is before the days of oak wine barrels, I mean, grapes were actually fermented in animal skins that had been, had been cured and sewn together in little pouches. What's interesting is that during the process, and I was reading about this this week, that as the, the sweetness, the sugars of the grapes, okay, and the yeast of the skin of the grape is mixed together over a period of time, and it sits, it ferments, it's, it's a chemical process that takes place and changes the sugars and the yeast into alcohol, and it expands. Now, if you, if you had old wineskins that had already been used, they're already stretched, and then you pour the wine in there, it can't stretch any further. They're, they're dry, they're brittle. It bursts, and you ruin your wine. It doesn't work like that. You have to have new wineskins that are subtle, that are that su- supple, supple, thank you, supple. That, that are able to be stretched when, when, when the wine expands. The idea here is, is very, very simple. The Christian gospel, okay, you, you can't pour the Christian gospel into wineskins that have been old, old used, stretched laws of Judaism. It doesn't work like that. The, the gospel stands alone. Totally new, totally different as the only means, the only way of salvation. It doesn't, it doesn't fit into any other religious system where you've got to be doing, you've got to be doing, you've got to be doing in order to become righteous. Oftentimes I read a text, I study and, and, and write, and I'm like, well, okay, what, what is the one, like I call it the B.I., the big idea. What is the one big idea I want to take from these few verses and, and you put it in your pocket and you walk out with it so that when you're at lunch and you're going to say, well, what would you learn today? That you know exactly what pastor was preaching about. Here's the big idea of the text. You cannot add Jesus to your religion. That's really, that's the bottom line. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work like that. You don't just kind of have a hole in your life and just kind of patch something. It doesn't work like that. It is all. It is all of our focus. It is all of our time. It is all of our interests. It is all of our giftedness. It is all of ourselves that we put what? Into His hands. We trust His work and not our own work. Paul addresses the idea of the Pharisees and some of the legalism, the legalistic tendencies very strong in Galatians in chapter 5. He says in verse 4 that you are severed from Christ. Isn't that a sad picture? You're cut off from Christ. You're severed from Christ. You 
who would be justified by the law have fallen away from grace. Galatians in chapter 5 and verse 4. But what, what, a, what, a horrible, what a horrible picture. And Jesus says, hey, the focus, what? I'm the one who rescues. I'm the only way that your sins can be forgiven. Jesus is the only one who lived a perfect sinless life. The only one who died but didn't stay dead. He rose again. I'm the only one. And we don't want to be severed, cut off from Christ. We don't want to, in a sense, fall away from the gift of grace that has been given. And so the focus this morning is what? Is on the cross. It is, it is good news to say that we don't have to fast and be stuck in that Stuck in a yes, we can have a, a, a moment where we are, are 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 aware of the weight and sin of our own lives, but we don't stay there because of the bridegroom. It is a time of feasting on the grace that has been extended. A wonderful reminder of what out with the old and in with the new. There there are not enough things that you can do. It is simply a gift of grace. Hold on to that picture as we think about the bridegroom coming to rescue us. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your work. And we thank you for your word that we can focus and learn from it this morning. And may that continually stir in our hearts and minds as we leave your house, as we go out into this world over the next couple of days. And we keep our focus on you. Lord, if there's individuals here, even in, in their heart right now, that they've not place their, their faith, their trust in the work of Christ. Lord, at this very moment, may they know that they can do that. that. They can offer their sins to you and that you will forgive and offer life and life abundantly. And we love you. And we thank you for this time that we can be together to learn. In your name we pray. Amen.